Boyd walks in and shoots, stop, rebound, score! Christian Fisher, he makes it a one goal game with 8.17 to go. Rodriguez left side, and they're gonna call an offensive foul. That is a horrible call. That is an absolutely horrible call. Arnold was completely off balance, and they call an offensive foul on Luis Rodriguez. I believe you. I mean, that's a terrible call. I know, it is. Down a third and 10, three seconds left. Jones will give it to Stevenson. He started right. He runs it up the middle, hit by Chandler. Jones slips and hit across the 45 with a stiff arm. Off a tackle at the 40. He lost the football. And Jacoby Myers picks it up. He circles back and he throws it across the field. Jones is picked up by Chandler Jones. He breaks away to the 30. He runs to the 20. He runs to the 10. He runs to the end zone. This might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. And a victory for Las Vegas. I like it. I like the Christmas music, Jared. Very nice. Hey, did Danny bring any Christmas music yesterday? No, thankfully. Uh, no, I don't think he did. I think he, he tried, but it was not to be. You ready for the holidays? I, I left him Christmas music. I'm glad he didn't play it. This one? Any of them. I got to make sure I have uh, Tyler's uh, thing that he sends me. All right. There are approximately seven Christmas songs. We got the uh, Christmas songs in the house. Oh, boy. You know the channel like 840 oh, yeah, or something yeah. like that? All the music oh, channels? Yeah. My mom loves that channel. The Christmas songs? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. My favorite thing in radio is that there are channels that are just like, nah, rest of the year, we're just normal. As soon yeah. as November hits, we are Christmas, <laughs> Christmas and we make all our money. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Want to make this important note. Today on Cofield and Company is Festivus. You've got a chance to call in and rip whoever you want on this show, Cofield and Company, any of the shows here on Lotus get, get Broadcasting. Get some Raider Nation radio calls in. Uh, I think they get ripped every day by their own callers. So. <laughs> uh, they take callers. Yeah. You can also leave a voice message right now in case you aren't going to call in at 3 or 5 today. Uh, 702-509-1325. 702-509-1325. That is true. Make Ari uh, do some more work and censor them. Uh, but they're taking calls live today at three in the 3 o'clock hour and in the 5 o'clock hour. So... Please call in and uh, make fun of us. Tell us what you hate about us. Uh, don't don't be nice. Cofield keeps complaining every year that the callers are too nice. So, well, don't we be don't nice. want nice. Yeah, that the whole point is to complain about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So, be mean. It'll be great. The first bite. Will the Raiders be eliminated from the postseason this weekend? Well, I don't think so because you have... Speaking of not nice. Exactly. You have uh, situations down here, and there's a lot of ties. There are a lot of tie possibilities. There's a lot of tie possibilities. I still think even if they lose, will that make them six and nine? I mean, it would severely damage the hopes that we all are uh, waiting for that the Raiders would actually get back to the playoffs, but... It doesn't appear likely if they lose, and yet, and I, Adam and I were talking about this yesterday, they can still get in six and nine. They can. A very small percentage. So uh, this is what has to happen this weekend for the Raiders to be eliminated. Uh, this is from the NFL. Raiders lose to Steelers. Uh, Chargers beat the Colts. And then one of these two, either New England wins or ties against the Bengals, 
and a Miami tie against Green Bay. I'm a little confused because I'm almost certain that if Miami beats Green Bay, that counts Yeah, too. why aren't they a win in a tie? I don't know. The NFL released it, and it's just Miami tie against Green Bay. But I, I, like, you can go on 538 and play around and say, what if this happens? If you give Miami a win and all those other same results, they're eliminated. So I'm pretty Raiders sure. Raiders are at zero. I'm pretty sure if Miami beats Green Bay, Chargers beat the Colts, and Raiders lose, that they are eliminated yeah. from the postseason. Uh, but there is a decent chance that if the Raiders win, or excuse me, if the Raiders lose, they're still technically alive uh, going into week 17. Yeah, especially what we saw in New England last week. And, right. Uh, they have to go to, or they, they host Cincinnati, but still Cincinnati won seven straight. So possibly eliminated from the postseason. Uh, we'll see if anything actually happens here. But they're 6-8, and eight, and they're playing another 6-8 and eight team in the Steelers. The Raiders have a 6% chance to make the playoffs. The Steelers only have a 0.4% yeah. chance to make the playoffs. And here's what's even better. If the Steelers beat the Raiders, their odds of going to the playoffs go up to 0.8. <laughs> Not even one? No. So they'd be 7-8 and eight and have just beaten a team that could conceivably be in the tiebreaker against them and still be less than 1%. To go to the postseason. Whereas, by the way, if the Raiders win this weekend, uh, they'll jump from 6 to 11%. Now, obviously, some other results would affect that. But just the win itself would give them a boost of 5% in their uh, playoff odds. This is telling me the Steelers don't have any tiebreakers That's, available. Yes, <laughs> that, that is what I am led to believe here. That they are going to lose every single... Like, they're going to lose every two-team tiebreaker, every three-team tiebreaker. Yes. If there's six teams... They'll lose it. They're losing all of them. Um, actually, oh, I actually saw a... Um, video that was explaining how all four AFC North teams can go to the playoffs. Oh, and it would require a lot. Uh, it would require, um, obviously the Bengals and the Ravens are in a uh, pretty good position, but it would require the Browns and the Steelers on the final week of the season tying the Browns and the Steelers. Yeah. If they both win their next two games to get to eight and eight. And then on the final week, they tie there's a chance they could all four get in with eight, eight, and one being the last wild card spots with both the Browns and the Steelers, which would be funny. I would love to see because that would be another scenario where, hey, tie and you both go to the playoffs yeah. just like last year with the Raiders and Chargers. But Kenny Pickett starting, and I don't think there's any way Kenny Pickett wins two games in a row. I don't know if Kenny Pickett wins this weekend. What's the weather? <laughs> Although the other guy doesn't like weather either. Right. I, we haven't had much evidence on Kenny Pickett and weather as we do the other guy. So, okay, here's here's the sort of genuine question. Is it as simple as this game is decided by the, the running games the run on games. both sides? Like, is it that simple? Yeah, I mean, I, I would think a lot of it has to do with being that simple, given Derek Carr's play in the weather, right? I mean, Hasn't I don't know good. about Kenny Pickett. I don't. I mean, Kenny Pickett, we haven't seen a ton of evidence on in terms of cold weather. I haven't watched Kenny Pickett in the cold weather. I've watched him other times. Uh, starts nine games, has played in ten. Um, I don't think we can sit here and say he's been great. So I think it does depend on Josh Jacobs and others because Derek Carr, 0-6 when temperature is under 38 degrees, never more than one TUD or led the Raiders to 20 points in any of those games, which, man, 38 is it's it's not hot. Six. <laughs> it's kind of hot for what it's, they're going to be playing I think 38 is what we endured when we got out of the car this right. morning. It felt pretty good. It is uh, currently five degrees in Pittsburgh. Oh, that's not bad. 
That's less than 38. <laughs> but but if he's 0-6 and 38, five's not good. It's hey, not a good number for him. Hey, the high tomorrow is 13 11? degrees. Oh, it got up to 13. Yeah, I thought it was 11. More heat wave coming yeah. <laughs> to Pittsburgh. So it's currently well, 5 degrees. Thankfully, it won't be windy or rainy at all. <laughs> no, It'll be all. completely dry. <laughs> just a, a still cold. A dry hey, 13. The precipitation only 10% on Saturday. The wind, 20 miles an hour. But okay. the precipitation. He's, he's good with wind. 10%. Is he? Are we sure? Uh, so, all right. Car's not good in cold weather. Kenny Pickett's not good, period. So if you look at the running games here, just going by um, DVOA this year, the Raiders are 13th. Uh, rushing, which is just efficiency, basically. The Steelers are sixth. So you've got two teams that are good running teams. But then defensively, this is what's interesting. The Raiders' rush defense this year, third in DVOA. Like, their rush defense has been very efficient. Their pass defense is not good. It's very, very bad. But their run defense, actually pretty good. And the Steelers is middle of the road, only 17th. So... If it comes down to the run game and you say, hey, we're going to give Josh Jacobs 28 carries and we're going to rely on our run defense to stop Najee Harris and what the Steelers are going to try to do, I actually kind of feel good. And Najee Harris is hurt, by the way. Yeah, that's right. I actually kind of feel good about the Raiders' chances in this one, even though Card like, they might not score 20 points, but 17, 14 Raiders with just... Daniel Carlson's foot will be purple because yes. he'll be hitting a frozen piece of leather. Will he be able to make field goals? What? I mean, go, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say one of my favorite things ever is after the Vikings lost a playoff game where Blair Walsh was responsible for 100% of their points, their fan base basically went rabid on him like you cost us the great game because you missed a kick late and then a picture of his foot came out and All it purple. Lo- no like it looked like the guy who climbed Everest and lost his foot <laughs> last night in New York uh where it wasn't quite this cold uh the kickers combined to go five of six uh but there was a lot of balls up in the air and it's going left or right a little bit so that might actually be, actually, it might be who can run the ball to like the 30 and make a kick and whose kicker can make, make a, a 50 yarder. Like that might be what decides the game. Who can do that more in this one? Or who can like, can Josh Jacobs break a tackle and then actually take one of the house from 50 yards away? Or does Najee Harris or Jalen Warren, whoever's caring for Pittsburgh, do that? Well, I think what we have to rely on is Chandler Jones being thrown the ball by the other team. <laughs> <laughs> and running it I, back. No, no. With Kenny Pickett's hand size, I actually think they might just fumble the snap or just trying well, to throw it and Derek, it falls out. Kenny Pickett, we've, we said this already, Kenny Pickett versus Derek Carr will be the battle of the ball's on the ground. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like the one quarterback in the league that has significantly smaller hands than Derek Carr. So like, if Max Crosby or Chandler Jones gets get just gets to Swipes touch him the ball. somewhere, not even, I don't think you have to touch the ball, just touch him and just throw it off it. balance a little bit. And he might drop it. Yeah, ball's not going to be easy to hold. They should be allowed to deflate the footballs in this game. <laughs> in the in the bathroom? Yeah, yeah. They should be able to allowed to bring deflate them in there? a little no. bit. No. So on the, the field, can hold it. the ref just goes, I, I need your attention. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel like, okay, if, we, if they play a quarter and, like, both quarterbacks have fumbled twice, they should be able to have the coaches meet at midfield and be like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna take the air out of this ball right. a little bit, so both our quarterbacks can hold on to it." 
Might not even throw it anymore, but just we got small hands out here. We got to be able to hold on to the football. It's important. Derek Carr will fumble. Yes. He will fumble. I think they're both fumbling. What's the record for fumbles in a game? I'm on it. Well, there won't be enough offensive snaps because they're just going to run the ball. Yeah, and they're the just going to hand, gonna gonna hand the ball off. You got to have. You got to give Derek a, Derek a little credit. He can fumble with the best of them. <laughs> it actually has. I feel like it hasn't been that big of a problem recently. We no, haven't had any massive. No. He's Derek only got six this inside year. a lot. Yeah. So he's, and he's this year he's been recovering them more. He's doing well. Look at him. He's doing well. Well, his offensive line has been recovering them more. All right. Coming up next, UNLV basketball. Finished off non-conference schedule with a win over Southern Miss. Hase puts it up off the bottom of the board. No good. Then has his shot blocked by Iwako. Harkless the other way for the layup and the foul. What a play by Iwako on one end. Swatting the putback attempt by Hase away. And then Harkless taking it down the floor. And the fans on their feet. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. UNLV beat Southern Miss last night 74-63 to to finish off non-conference play. They are 11-1. and They play San Jose State and San Diego State to open Mountain West play. Um, can I tell you the, uh, I think the most important stat from that game, first half UNLV five free throw attempts, second half UNLV 28 free throw attempts. They <laughs> obliterated this team by getting to the free throw line over and over and over Southern Miss took all of 15 free throws. Yeah. You shoot twice as many and you probably need to win the game at home. We've talked about this before. They almost every time they play, they shoot a significant, significant more uh, from the free throw line than their opponent. And last night, that was the case. I mean, they did not get to the rim in the first half. Second half, they got to the rim more, but it really came down to UNLV getting free throw attempts. And that's the big difference in the game because UNLV didn't shoot it well. Uh, They shot 33% from the floor as a team. And it really came down to UNLV getting to the line and dominating that part of the game. 25 turnovers also helped. Southern, okay. I still don't know what to make of this because the amount of times that teams have just stupid turnovers against UNLV blows my mind. But, like, I think they kind of are forced, but they're, I don't know. Like, the amount of times guys have stepped on the sideline when catching Uh a pass against Uh UNLV. It happened again last night. They just don't know how long the court is. But it's like, if it happens you know, 13 times in their non-conference schedule, I, we probably should give them credit. Like, are the, is their p- ball pressure good enough that guys just think they got to keep drifting a little bit further away? I, it's just dumb things happen. I mean, there's there's passes. The Southern Miss in the last minute last night, uh, they come out of a timeout, drop a play, a guy drives in the lane and turns to kick it out and throws it to his coach. Yeah. Instead of <laughs> that was, oh my God, that was amazing. Like, uh, like, yeah, their defense is good, but there's no reason that he should just be throwing it to his coach instead of... He was open, Tyler. <laughs> it's just the amount of turnovers where you're like, they play college basketball is and they're eleven And they're 11-1? Right. It's it's just astounding to me how many UNLV's defense sees or forces. I, again, I don't know exactly what to do there, but I'll say this about last night's game. I think we saw a lot of what makes UNLV good... And a lot of what makes UNLV a team that could lose a lot of Mountain West games. So 
the good stuff we saw, and most of it did come in the second half, they forced a bunch of those turnovers, which we talked a lot about. Um, they they had a lot of high-pressure scenarios. They did a good job cutting off passing lanes. I actually loved there was a possession in the second half where they sort of surprised double-teamed the point guard right before he got across half court, and he just chucked a pass out of bounds. Uh, that was fun. And they got a lot of free throws, which largely came from attacking the rim more. Uh, they had 22 layups and dunks in that game, and EJ Harkless was the main creator of all that. Uh, but those are sort of the good things about UNLV, right? They force a lot of turnovers on defense. They, they get to the line. And they get to the line. Those are the two main things. The bad side, though, that we saw, they gave up 16 more offensive rebounds. That was a big reason why San Francisco hung around. Uh, that The percentage there, Southern Miss rebounded 43% of their own misses last night. That's an insane number. That's way too much. Um, it's been, UNLV's not been a great defensive rebounding team all year. It hurt them a lot against San Francisco. Almost hurt them last night, but they held on one. Um, a new bad thing. You, uh, Southern Miss actually did a really good job getting some backdoor cuts for layups. And then also what I thought was yeah. interesting is when they would, they would often would have a guy try to drive into the paint and at the same time have somebody off the ball cut to the paint as well and then throw it to him for a layup, which caught UNLV's help side defense kind That's of a slice. Like they didn't, they haven't really seen a lot of that. Right. So that was fun. Um, and then this is, this is, an interesting part where UNLV hasn't been great this year, but they haven't been awful. They got 22 layups and dunks last night. They made eight of them. Like, they got to the paint, but they can't finish. But that was an issue last year as well, I right. believe. They're, like, this team does Has not finish trouble at the finishing. Rim. And I think that's why when we, when we go back to the free throw conversation, I think that's a big reason why that's going to be so important for them to win games. Because if they get in the paint and get fouled, well, you get, and make you free get two throws. free throws, and you know you make 70% of them. That's, that's college average. But if they get in the paint and don't get fouled, they're making less than half yeah. their layups in this game. And that's going to be an issue when you play some of the good teams in Mountain West play. So that's an interesting thing to watch, uh, I think, in conference play, is when they drive, are they getting fouled, or are they having to actually convert shots at the rim? Because if they're having to convert shots at the rim, they haven't shown that that's, a, that's something they're good at yet this season. And they were particularly bad about it last night. Uh, so you're saying here is Luis Rodriguez the best shooter on the team? Okay. Five of eight from three. He doesn't have like the best uh, percentage or anything like that. That's still Keyshawn Gilbert, who's uh, been incredible in terms of his three-point shooting this year. But Luis Rodriguez is shooting 33% from three this year. Um, last year at Ole Miss, he shot 30% from three. So it's not like this massive jump. But here's the key. He's played 11 games this year. He's already shot 54 threes. At Ole Miss last year, he played 32. He shot 102. So he's, he's on pace he's, to... Sh- I mean, he's on pace to shoot damn near yeah. 153 this above, year. Way above uh, the pace. And if he does it at 33%, which is sort of right at the, the league average or, or national average there, he's he's extremely valuable in that regard because here's the problem. That, here's the other problem you know he runs into. Harkless or Gilbert drives. They get in the paint. Defense collapses. Who do you kick it out to to shoot a three? We talked a lot this uh, coming into the season. Who's a good three-point shooter? Who's going to be good at it? Luis Rodriguez has been really good at the, hey, they helped off of me. Kick it to me. I'll knock down the three. Justin Webster's been good, and Luis Rodriguez have been good. And if they can have at least two good spot-up shooters for those scenarios, that's going to go a long way. But he's been – Luis Rodriguez has been a a very – uh, pleasant surprise offensively. And here's the fun stat. He was five of eight from three last night. 
The rest of his teammates were three of 16, and Southern Miss was two of 19. <laughs> there was one guy in that gym last night that could knock down a three, and it was Luis Rodriguez. So, a lot of mid-range jumpers from Southern Miss, like we talked about yesterday. Uh, yeah, they shot they shot quite a few mid-range shots. But they, I mean, first half, when they had the lead, they were actually getting to the rim pretty easily. And some of that was off of offensive rebounds. But they actually had a lot of layups and dunks in the first half. But second half, UNLV's defense was a lot better and cut off a lot of the layups, plus added the ridiculous amount of turnovers. There's one other interesting thing that I saw, and it was only four minutes. Keyshawn Hall, the freshman, played four minutes in the first half. Keyshawn Hall has basically been cut out of the rotation uh, for the last eight, nine games. He only had, he had a steal and a turnover, no other stats in his four minutes. But what I thought was interesting is that center position has been David Mwaka and Victor Iwako. And they've played basically every minute at center that, that when the game is close this entire season. I think Kevin Kruger played Keyshawn Hall because he was not happy with the offense that he was getting out of Milwaukee and Iwako. So he sent a message. Not that you expect those two to be good offensive players, but here's what happened. First two possessions of the game. Ball screens with David Milwaukee screening for Keyshawn Gilbert or EJ Harkless. Defense doubles the ball handler. Mm -hmm. They make a bounce pass to David Milwaukee. First one, he missed the layup. Second one, dropped the ball, turnover. Victor Iwako then did it a couple possessions later after he checked into the game. Basically, if UNLV runs a ball screen with their center, you do not have to guard the center anymore. You can just double-team the guy with the ball because the centers have not proven that they are going to make you pay. They might not even catch the ball. And I think that was the problem when you looked at why the hell's Keyshawn Hall in the game. Well, maybe he can catch the ball now. Keyshawn Hall is not as good defensively. You lose a lot when he's on the floor. But that was something I thought was interesting, and it, probably something Mountain West teams will be able to exploit is, oh, we don't have to guard Until David Milwaukee. Until Milwaukee and Milwaukee right. proves that they can catch the ball or finish. Right. If you're going to use Milwaukee to set a ball screen, well, we're not going to guard him because now he's right. got to roll to the basket, catch the ball, and make a layup. And, and finish. He's not doing that enough for us to worry about it. So that was an interesting thing that they did. Keyshawn Hall did not play in the second half. Um so it was only four minutes. I don't think Keyshawn Hall is going to be playing significant minutes going forward. But that was an interesting substitution that we had in that game. And I think it's because UNLV. Because here's here's the other thing. Eli Parquet's out for a month or whatever it is. UNLV, we offensively, they've been fine because of how good their defense is. They don't exactly have enough offensive weapons. So you get into some of these games, you might be talking about, oh, teams can take advantage of your offense because... You don't need to guard two of the guys on the floor at any given time because they're just not a threat. All right, we'll do this next week. Um, but have you had in your mind, have you come to inclusion in your mind where these guys are going to finish in the Mountain West? That is a good question because there's a lot of good, not great Mountain West teams probably. Like the different, I'll the say difference, what I said last week. I think it's going to be hard to win on the road. Yeah, the difference between two and seven in the conference might not be very big. Right. So... It's like if you lose a few close games, oh, you just finish sixth. Yeah, you win the you win a few more close. You might games. finish third, right? So it, I think it's going to be pretty bunched up, and it's going to be a lot yeah. of teams that are right around ten, eleven wins that finish second yeah. to sixth in this conference. All right, coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show. Is it tough hearing the booze? Yeah, it is. You know, but <laughs> don't blame them. We have we have a very passionate fan base, and they're here to watch us score touchdowns, and we're not scoring touchdowns. We're not we're not getting first downs. We're not moving the ball. We, you know, we obviously can't throw the ball, so of course they're going to be frustrated. 
You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Good morning, Ben. Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, Happy holiday season to the both of you. You too. Uh, Is it a Christmas present for Jets fans that they may never have to see Zach Wilson play quarterback for their team again? I mean, it was, it was, if it's a Christmas present, it was definitely a costly one. I'll say that much, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Chris Strevelar having a more productive offense uh, than what Zach Wilson could provide obviously is, you know, very telling long-term. I'm still confused about what's going on with Joe Flacco, but uh, yeah, I think that, you know, overall, you know, we, we kind of questioned a couple weeks ago when he did get benched, if this was going to be the end of Zach Wilson, I thought, you know, there was potentially a case for him to come back, but you know, after these mo- this most recent stretch of games, like I think it's very much uh, eminent that his time is uh, quickly coming to an end. I would say as a New York Jet. I'm curious what your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence is. Is he going to maybe it happens next year, maybe it happens now or in the postseason? Is he going to sort of realize that potential that he had after he's a freshman in Clemson, where he was the can't miss quarterback? Is he going to be that guy? Is he going to be like, hey, this is one of the five best quarterbacks in the league at some point? Yeah, I, I honestly think that he is. You know, in some ways, kind of already on his way to doing that, right? I think since week nine, he's PFF, you know, top-graded passing quarterback ahead of guys like Joe Burrow, ahead of guys like um, like Patrick Mahomes. So in a lot of ways, like this trajectory that he's on, we've, we've kind of been waiting for him to realize his potential. But this stretch of games, especially if they get into the playoffs, I would say that he has, for you know, all intents and purposes, kind of arrived, right? And I think that he the, the exciting thing about him is that he can do it in so many different ways. Like yesterday – you know, the passing probably, you know, wasn't as great as it has been the past couple of weeks, but his ability to kind of pick up yards in certain situations, especially with his rushing ability and, and the fact that his, his, you know, his pump fakes and those sorts of things, I think seem to also freeze the defense in a lot of situations. Like he is very much arriving. And I think that, you know, next year at this point, it's going to be pretty obvious that he is, you know, a, a top five or even better, you know, NFL quarterback at that point. It's going to be cold, and we have the battle of small hands. Kenny Pickett versus Derek Carr, <laughs> Pittsburgh against the Raiders. How much do you put in the stock Derek Carr? It's, I mean, 38 degrees or uh, lower. He's 0-6 and, and has one touchdown in each of those games, no more than one touchdown. Do you guys, like, look at weather and how guys have performed in weather? We So we definitely fold in weather components to our modeling. We don't have, like... I would say like specific performances again in, in weather situations that kind of impact those models. Like, you know, in some ways, like the Raiders always being a team that for the most part plays in warm weather and then like has to go and travel and do these cold weather type games like that does kind of bake into it. But as far as like Derek Carr's performance in those particular spots, that's not something that we're really included in just because it is kind of a small sample size. And obviously like the, the makeup around Derek Carr, you know, in those six losses is very much going to be different than what he's dealing with, you know, on Saturday. So uh, although it's, you know, maybe something that you can, you know, add into your handicap, it's definitely not something that we're modeling at that point. So I I, I would say that it's probably, you know, uh, a little bit overvalued and something that, you know, can easily correct and change quickly to the point where, you know, it, it may, it might not be worth it to look at his, you know, small sample size performance in those particular games, I would say. 
Well, speaking of small sample size, does the fact that they both quarterbacks have tiny, tiny hands, does that actually like wash out? Like they're both going to fumble, so it's not really an advantage to either side? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's in some ways it, it balances it out. But, you know, the, I also think you look at like, the, you know, especially with, you know, Kenny Pickett specifically, like he does have like more of a sample size of playing in some of these cold weather dynamics than maybe he doesn't at the NFL level right now. But, you know, in future years, we should better understand how he's going to at least handle some of these, you know, cold weather type games. And if there is, if there does seem to be kind of an uptick you know, in fumbles and those sorts of things because of the weather. But I think right now, you know, it's essentially a wash. It's essentially something that, you know, it is probably too hard to derive any sort of signal from to the point where you want to base any of your decision-making or, or processes on it, I would say. Did you uh, make an in-game bet on the Vikings when they were down 33 to nothing? So I will, yeah, so I had, I will say I was very levered up on Vikings minus three and a half last week. In some ways, because of the you know the way in which we saw them win at the end, I did think they were the much better team than Indianapolis Colts. Um, I did bet them uh, a decent amount again at halftime, but I only bet them on the spread mainly because I was so levered up on minus three and a half, and I thought I was sitting there with a bunch of losing tickets and really didn't want to double down. So I did hit them uh, a decent amount at like plus twenty six spread and those sorts of things, but unfortunately, uh, probably didn't sprinkle enough on the money line looking back. But of course, that's that's hindsight and everything else. And, and part of the handicap, I think, from what I was thinking about in that particular spot is is their performance against Dallas, you know, a couple weeks ago. I do think, you know, Kevin O'Connell specifically kind of seemed to show some some street smarts or some ability to at least understand and, and allow this game to kind of slip away because of the fact that, you know, they were already down so much and they maybe didn't need to risk injury. And I thought that was at least, you know, enough of a scenario in this Indianapolis Colts game to the point where maybe it wasn't worth you know, having a, having a complete full sender, shoving all my chips into the middle at that point. So, although I sprinkled on it, looking back, I, I unfortunately did not sprinkle enough, I would say. A lot of storylines here. Eagles four and a half. Even, excuse me, Dallas four and a half now with the Eagles quarterback situation. In Dallas, uh, do you like one side? I do. I, I do like Dallas here. I think, you know, Gardner Minshew has been a really good backup quarterback throughout his entire Woo! career. Has had spots where he has been... I would say very effective even as a starter, but I think looking at this Eagles offense in general and and looking at what they were so successful at to start the season, like they're going to have, I would say, a pretty big offensive schematic shift going from Jalen Hurst to Gardner Minshew. Like it's very much not a situation where, you know, the, the backup quarterback is very similar to the starting quarterback and they can essentially plug in their same offense. So I think the, the, the switch going from, you know, a Jalen Hurts-centric offense that has been really productive to one that, you know, maximizes, uh, you know, Gardner Minshew's abilities, I think that's a pretty big change and, and fundamental shift for the Eagles offense. And I think going up against one of the best defenses in football, it's going to – it's asking a lot, I would say, to have them switch that quickly and, and be and still be successful, especially with Gardner Minshew missing, you know, a practice or two here this week uh, and not necessarily getting in all those reps. So – I'm concerned about uh, uh, the Eagles this week, and I do think this is a spot where Dallas kind of shows out. I thought the line would drift closer up to, you know, like a minus six spread, even six and a half, if it was Gardner Minshew at quarterback. So uh, I very much think that the Cowboys are probably the correct side right now, I would say. Uh, Would you bet on the Lions to make the playoffs right now? I would bet on the Lions to make the playoffs, especially with the rest of, you know, the the NFC 
I would say, kind of, you know, fumbling the bag in, in certain situations, specifically the Seahawks. Um, and also, I think, you know, the, the, the Washington Commanders have a really difficult schedule coming up as well. Like the Detroit Lions, 29th most difficult strength of schedule from PFS perspective. Very much, you know, I would say are kind of in the driver's seat to win out. And if they do that, you know, they're going to leapfrog Washington. They're already in some ways, you know, have a better playoff probability chance from PFS perspective than Seattle. So, yeah, I think we're going to see the Lions, you know, in the playoffs. And I think, you know, with the Vikings kind of heading towards the number two seed, I can say I'm very much concerned about that first round <laughs> playoff matchup with the Vikings and Lions and very much, you know, kind of expect the Vikings to kind of fumble the bag here and the Lions to, you know, advance to the divisional round of the playoffs, which sounds crazy, you know, a few weeks ago, but it is becoming a very real reality from a disgruntled Vikings fan, I would say right now. Ben, is the worst case scenario for Vikings fan for the Packers to actually run the table, get the seven seed and play the Vikings in the first round? I honestly, it's either Vikings, it's either the Packers or the Lions, either one of them I'm absolutely petrified about, but I do think, <laughs> you know, if that happens, the narratives about how good Aaron Rodgers is playing and and, and how, how much he's going to destroy a Vikings secondary that's been, you know, pretty poor, I would say, for the most part, like, there's just no way that I would ever be comfortable back in the Vikings in that position. And I do think that, you know, I, I, it would not surprise me whatsoever to see the Packers beat the Vikings in the first round of the playoffs as well. So that would be, you know, uh, it's definitely nightmare fuel coming up here for me in the next couple of weeks. That's for sure. Well, he has been Brown from pro football focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Enjoy your holiday, buddy. Thanks. Thanks guys. Have a great show. So there's Ben Brown uh, from Pro Football Focus on the Thursday night game and the weekend we, ahead in the NFL. We have a disproportionate amount of Vikings fans, we and do. they all have yeah. the same basic, like, I, I'm very tentatively believing in them, yeah, but, but I'm not going to actually believe in but them. I'm not all, crazy. They all fell for it when they beat the Bills. They yes, all fell yes, head yes. first in yeah. and then quickly realized Go when right the Cowboys beat them by like 50 yeah, the next 40 week. 40-something to nothing. They're like, oh, we were right the first time around. All right. We've got $400 we're trying to give away right now. Thanks to Dollar Loan Center. It's Friday football frenzy. We're going to give you three NFL games. It's all the games on Christmas, by the way. And if you can pick the winners, no point spread, just straight up winners in all three games, you'll win $400. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. 702-364-1100. Caller number 10 is going to have a shot at 400 bucks. I would love to hear his supporters after this game because when when he got benched the first time and Mike White was playing Chicago Bears in inclement weather, rainy game, he threw for 350. And they said, oh, it's just because he's playing against backups. This is the 27th ranked defense in the National Football League. You should have been able to be efficient. You should have been able to be effective, but you weren't. And so you'll look for excuse after excuse after excuse. But sometimes you got to say, hey, they're calling good plays. You gotta find. You gotta find the blitzer. You gotta check the protection. You gotta hit the open man. You gotta like. You just gotta command the offense. Sometimes you just gotta run it. You know, today we, we talk about Trevor Lawrence. He just ran the football and he didn't slide. He took. He knew he needed the first down. He got tackled. He showed his team. He inspired his team. Like Fitz said, he inspired his team that hey, you can believe in me. I'm here. I'm fighting with you guys. I'm doing everything I can. He's not doing that for his team, and and you don't feel like he's ever going to. You don't feel like, hey, there's something there where we can build off of this, or this team is going to believe in this guy. It's like, stop making excuses for him, and like, let's move on.
We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Grady and Tyler Bischoff. It is Friday Football Frenzy, sponsored by Dollar Loan Center, offering signature loans up to $5,000. Stop by one of their 34 locations in Las Vegas and Henderson. We've got $400 on the line, and we've got John here to make some picks. John, we're going to give you the games. Just let us know the winners. No point spreads involved. If you get all three right, you'll win 400 bucks. All three games are the Christmas Day game. So the first one for you, John, is Packers at Dolphins. Got to go with the Dolphins, Tyler. Second one, Broncos at Rams. Uh, the loser's bracket. Give me the Rams. <laughs> and the final one, the Buccaneers going to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. Saints fan since 67, so... Uh... Give me Tampa Bay reluctantly. All right. So Dolphins, Rams, and Bucks. If those three teams win, John, you'll be taking home $400. Good luck, John. Good luck, John. Happy holiday, buddy. Okay. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Uh, so there's John um, with his three picks against Dolphin, Rams, and Buccaneers. If all three win, John wins $400. If, be a good Christmas present. If one of those teams loses, or two or three, uh, then that will roll over, and we will have $500 to try to give away next week on Friday Football Frenzy, sponsored by Dollar Loan Center. Uh, now, the Thursday night game. Oh, God, it was awful. Can either of you tell me who Chris Streveler is? Uh, yeah. I'm. Um, he's the, he's a, whenever, after the, like four or five seasons in Madden, they just start like making up players for you to draft. <laughs> yeah. I uh, watched most of this game on my laptop at the UNLV game. And when I looked down in the second half and saw a white guy with number 15 running the ball, like a linebacker who just picked up a fumble, I thought the jets had signed Tim Tebow <laughs> again. <laughs> They said they yes. resigned. Who the hell is Chris Streveler? And how is he a better than Zach Wilson? Second and, pick overall. Yeah. And what the hell happened to Joe Flacco? He was on the that's, sideline with his helmet on. And here's his pads the thing. On. And Ben said as well, that's like the biggest mystery of all this. Not that Zach Wilson stinks. Not that Chris Sevler. Is that his name? Streveler. Streveler. It doesn't Looks matter. Looks like Tim Ed, Tebow. Ed, it it does genuinely does not matter. Chris Sevler. It looks like Tim Tebow. The biggest question is... Call him Chris Everett. Joe Flacco can't be better than Tim Tebow? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the... what? what ha- he, he can't what be happened? better than Zach Wilson? True. Very good point. Man, there's a Super Bowl ring. Well, I think Very he is point. better than Zach Wilson. There's but they just, just, wait, there's hey, just something why wrong with they're saving, him. They're saving Flacco in case they make the play. No, I think there's something wrong with them is the assumption here. Otherwise, why wouldn't he be... In the game, it's it's unreal to me because here's the the Jets this year, their defense is like top six, seven in basically every sort of uh, like analytical stat. If you look at like EPA or you look at um, DVOA, right? Their defense is incredibly good. This is a playoff level defense. And if they just legitimately had an average quarterback, the Jets. They're an easy playoff game. The Jets are you're not are, even and you're not even saying like good. No, just Joe Flacco. I mean, hell, they weren't with Mike White before he got hurt. Absolutely, just, they were. Who the hell's Mike White? That's a fair question right. to ask too. Like just Mike White in there, and the Jets are a playoff team. But Zach Wilson is so bad that we're sitting here with Chris Streveler 
obviously being good. So let me ask you this on the Jets. No. Do you you completely give up on Zach Wilson? (laughs) Do you completely give up on Zach Wilson now? Like, is there any reason to even bring him? Should he even be on the roster next year? I do, but let me turn it around in that when these guys in the league pick second overall, even if they know he's bad, to save face, do they hold on to him longer than they thought he should? Than they thought they should. I, mean, I mean, they just lost a game because of him. They've lost multiple well, they've games. They've lost multiple games. They because they of him. lost that game last night because they were like, "Well, we drafted him second overall, so we can't get rid of him completely, and we've right. got to play him." Right. And then did not bench him to start the second half. That Jets offense was horrible, and at halftime, he should have been benched for Flacco or Chris Trevler. The most impressive thing the guy has done all season was his his mom's friend. So if you're <laughs> if you're the Jets, you almost have to dump him in the offseason. Like I'm, no, like, I'm with you. I just I it it seems like when they draft guys aside, especially quarterbacks, they hold on way too long. You're you're going to be tempted to play him again though. Like yeah. you you have to take that temptation away from yourself because if he's on Conditional the even, seventh, even if him. you even if you go sign a different starter sounds like a raider already if you go sign a different starter and say Zach Wilson's our backup he was a second round pick we're not giving up on him yet and then your starter gets hurt you're starting Zach Wilson again and you're going to lose again yeah. because he's not good I just I he think you have to, to get sit rid of him behind Derek Carr for a couple years Jags are going to the AFC South right. Yeah, and Trevor Lawrence, you asked Ben Brown, Trevor Lawrence, maybe it was Urban. Maybe? Can we just blame Urban for everything? I think with Trevor Lawrence, we've gotten to a point where his floor, worst case scenario for his career, is Derek Carr. Where he is at, where he's like, That's hey. a bad floor. Where he's the 12th best quarterback in the league or yeah. whatever. But his ceiling it's is, top five. yeah, top five quarterback. I don't know if he gets there because there are good quarterbacks in the league like i don't know if he gets to the mahomes allen level but it certainly does feel like we're going into next year like last year joe burrow end of the regular season had those back-to-back games with like 450 passing yards or whatever it was and then you know obviously they go to the super bowl in the postseason and it's like oh joe burrow is one of the top five guys in the league it feels like trevor lawrence kind of has that opportunity here i don't not saying the jags are going to the super bowl it kind of feels like oh they're, they've won three in a row right now. He plays well in the last two. They get in the postseason, win a game, or he plays well in a loss. And all of a sudden, we're talking yeah. about him as number six in the league. 